0: Welcome, 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 to the podcast. So, welcome to the podcast. I am joined by Hired Beverland, a favourite footballer of mine, a centre back that plays it very well. Unlike myself, Hired crusaders player obviously i'm a crusaders fan so this is quite exciting for me how's your day going and welcome to the podcast
1: thanks darren thanks for having me on the podcast as well um i love the name as well really really catchy um today's going well actually today's uh, my day off during the week every wednesday so uh it's a good day to be off in the middle of the week it just breaks the week up nicely as well so today's involved just catching up with uh people coffee and uh, enjoying the nice weather
0: here. <laughs> is, there, is it nice weather? I've seen on the news that there's like a hurricane or something. There's floods. So <laughs> well, I wasn't sure. I don't know if you're joking or not.
1: <laughs> uh, no, well, I, you know, from one day to the next day it could be very different. So at the minute, it's it's pretty bright. It's been nice. But then, like, the rain could just come out of anywhere. And there was a bit of a, a, a pretty rough storm the um, yeah. past couple of days, too. But right now, it's quite nice. It's typical Northern Ireland weather. You'll get four seasons in the one day.
0: Yeah. You probably notice that yourself when you're playing football. You get all four seasons in one match sometimes.
1: Oh, totally. Some some horrendous days to be out out, uh, out playing as well. But I tend to like those kind of like winter days where the pitches are muddy and you kind of just roll up the sleeves, get the studs on and away you go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll stick with the football for now then since sure. since we're on that topic. How did your football career start? Were you playing at junior level and how did you end up at Coleraine? Let's talk about your Coleraine days first. Sure,
1: yeah. feels like a long time ago, actually. Uh, <laughs> football, for me, uh, really just involved at primary school, playing lunchtime out in the, the playground, and that was kind of where my, my love started for it, um, playing at home as well in the backyard. I you know, had a small uh, set of goalposts. So I pretended to be a particular player um, and just imagined me being that player and hitting shots and free kicks and all. So it kind of came through the joy of playing it but also imagination as well and I can remember very early stages thinking of you know growing up going to the milk cup and always thought to myself I'd love to play in the milk cup you know Uh, but there were kind of these just distant desires and maybe dreams as such Um, so it came through just enjoyment and then uh, I joined um, like a local boys team then um, in Balamone called Riyadh Soccer School Um, it's now technically Balamone United but that's where it started out that's where it got competitive and more you know playing in leagues and cups and competitions as well uh, we played in down in Connor League, South Belfast League as well so you were kind of out a bit more in the public eye playing other teams, other clubs as well um, so that was kind of where, where it started um, in those early stages as well but you know for me it was very much you know hard, hard work and I, I developed as I got older uh, as well in regards to ability and uh, and, and making teams and stuff as well. So uh, that was kind of where it started with youth level. We played played the whole way through that under sixteens. Yeah. Um so then the transition to Col really came about from having played um played in the Foil Cup for Korean under fifteens. Uh, the manager that year was um Aaron Forgrave uh who was actually the reserve manager at Colorain. So come the end of the tournament he said look I'd like you to consider coming down to Coleraine. he says you know at this stage I was still 15 he said that he technically could still play you know underage grip he says this is an opportunity of us of, of playing you know senior level with a pathway into a senior Irish league football team Yeah. so for me at that stage um, I felt this is, this is a great opportunity at my age and I could see a pathway in Irish league football as well so that was I, I made the decision to join Coleraine at that stage and then uh, moved into the reserves then at the age of 16
0: yeah i mean it's, it's incredible when you look at your journey um when i looked sort of up some of your very early stuff you debuted for the first team at age of 17 so mm. what happened with that because res- that, that seems very very quick from 15 it's sort of underage level 16 you're playing for the reserves and 17 you're in the first team there must have yeah. been a very big development in your game mm. between yeah. those, those number of years
1: Big time, Uh, that's that's a really good point. I think those were key years for me. I think I I developed mentally and physically as well. And I always had just quite a, you know, uh, I really enjoyed it. I had quite a laid back approach as well, where I tried not to get too phased by anything. And the bigger the challenge sometimes, the more it kind of brought out of me. But I, I look at that being a key time in my development, probably at other stages, like, you know, 11, 12 Uh, 13, you know, probably around those times I wouldn't have been, you know, in the team, in the youth team at that stage, wouldn't have been a standout player in the team and sometimes would have played, sometimes wouldn't have but those years were key. I think I just was quite determined and I always loved training, you know, I always enjoyed training uh, and as as we talked about earlier with the weather conditions, if it was raining outside you know, I was still going to training and I loved the physical aspect of the game, I loved just kind of getting stuck in and, and I think at that age, I wasn't easily overcome or daunted by too much as well. So yeah. I think kind of part of part of my game would be just like I tend to, I suppose. Uh, I remember an early coach described me as a as an old head and young shoulders, and I think that's probably kind of served me well through my footballing career, where there's been maybe more of a a mature, um, you know, reading of the game, which maybe in those years that developed, and that's why maybe I progressed a wee bit quicker as well. Yeah. At that time, but I, had, you know, it good, you know, there was good people around me as well, and some, some very good coaches as well, who were good people, and they encouraged me, and they, they, they were true to their word, you know. When I joined Corian, you know, the 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 manager, of the reserve said, look, you know, you will get your opportunity if you do well, yeah. And uh, and and that was kind of how it worked. So yeah, it it did kind of everything seemed to move quite quickly at that stage, and and to be honest, probably haven't haven't really looked back until
0: the young age of 30 right now <laughs> <laughs> i mean it is an interesting like, like you said there you sort of like that old head and young shoulders comment mm-hmm. whenever i was sort of looking through all your different career your career here in, in northern irish football and looking through sort of all the different things that you've had happen to you and trophies one and whatnot you almost it's almost like you're a young veteran you know you're only 30 yeah. years old but <laughs> you, you've sort of you've thought you've pretty much done it all at 30 years old it to an extent, you've captained a side, we'll come to that with Coleraine in a second. You've won yeah. the league, you've won the Irish Cup. you have pretty much at 30 years old, where a defender is probably looking still in their prime for at least another three years. You've sort of already yeah. become one of those sort of focal points of a side, cool. a spine of a team. And just before we move on with that, and we'll talk about yeah. the, the, the captaining Coleraine and stuff... Were you always yeah. a centre-back? You said you liked the the, the the crazy weather, you like getting stuck in in the physical aspect yeah. of the game. Were you always a defender?
1: Um, do you know, early early days, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 at that stage, I could have been across a few different positions, but I think generally I probably found my position at centre-half because yeah, I tend to be, you know, I'll put my head in things, I'll put my foot in, I'll put my head where people won't put their foot and in. There's, there's always been that kind of defensive style of Physicality that probably, yeah, I suppose a lot of coaches see and automatically think centre half. Although, you know, parts of my career I've played in, in midfield, but probably early stages, senior football, as yeah, a young 17 year old playing centre half, there's not too many 17 year olds making their debut at Irish League playing centre half because it's, look, every position is important, but centre half is, you know, part of the spine of your team. You know, it tends to be more of a mature, veteran type player to play in those positions. Um so I kinda started out at right back was where I got my opportunity, I guess, you know, if you're making a if you make a slight mistake at right back, you may get off with it. Rather if you make a mistake at centre half you're more likely to get punished. So yeah. I started out at right back but I know naturally the, the, the field was to kinda move inwards. But right back was good. Like I like to I like to link up as well and, and, and be part of the game and not kinda just standing off observing really either yeah but uh, yeah that was kind of where it started out was, was at right back and I actually got the I got the opportunity it came about um, because my debut was at Corin Showgrounds home to Porta down uh, one wet damp Saturday afternoon and <laughs> I was I, I was actually due to be on the bench uh, that came and uh, um, and uh, the right back at that stage, uh, he took a back spasm in the toilet, and, oh, wow. uh, so literally I was I was planning I'll be on the bench and a mic like on and am like not, but lo and behold, you know this was like during the warm up, um, I got word uh, that actually the right back was 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 currently in an ambulance on his way to Causeway Hospital, <laughs> and uh, I, I I was going to be starting, so uh, that was uh, that was actually a funny story about how how my debut came about, it somebody else's misfortune, but for me it was. You know, you look back at a wee thing like that there and that probably, you know, certainly set me on my way. Uh, because I think after that I didn't look back and I, I had kind of then quickly made new play in, in the team as well from a young age and, and kept it through moving more just the, the maturity, the old head and young shoulders approach. People would say terrible, terrible hairdos over the years, terrible <laughs> barnets. Even know it's an, an old head, bad hairdo and young shoulders. So uh, it's, it's interesting looking back on old photos. So that was kind of, yeah, how I, I started out playing, playing right back.
0: And then from right back, it, um, you obviously you moved into this centre back and stuff, and it is it's quite funny that the league title went with Crusaders. It was yourself and Colin Coates centre back partners, and interestingly yeah. enough, Colin's debut was at left back before he moved into the oh, middle. Okay. So yeah. it's it's sort of fun funny that way, and. Yeah. When, when you're younger and you maybe don't have that experience at that level, you do, as you said rightly, you know, you get away with a little bit more at fullback if yeah. you make a, a decision that maybe you probably shouldn't do. And a, and a few years later, if you were playing there, you wouldn't make that same decision. Totally. Yeah. But, and
1: I think as well, you get, you know, you get a lot of very experienced uh, strikers who, you know, just know the game well. And, yeah. you know, for a young player as well, you're maybe naive to some things too. So you've, you know, I think you're up against a lot of strikers are. You know, been around the game for a while, know the kind of the tricks of the trade. Um, so I guess with a young a young player, they maybe fancy their chances. So I guess yes, yeah, it's, it's more of a there's more to it than just kind of throwing in a young player to play centre half. And I suppose probably copes may are happy at centre half now, preferably rather than full back at this
0: stage. Yeah, um, with Coleraine as well, it's a club that's known to be bringing through young young players. And not only did you come through a Coleraine, you you kept them decide What was that like for you?
1: Um, so I, I came through into the first team under Marty Quinn at that stage. Um, Marty gave me my, my debut um, in the English League, really, and a lot to be uh, very thankful to him for as well. Then after Marty had left to take over at Bangor, when Bangor just got promoted, um, Davey Platt, who was assistant, um, stepped up. So I played under Davey for a few years. Um, and then uh, Davey and the club parted, parted ways and Warren Kearney uh, took over he came in from Limabadi he had uh, done great things with Limabadi and um, and he came in as the, the manager uh, at that stage. So, you know, first first couple of seasons, he was in, you know, I guess he had a lot of rebuilding to do. He needed time to just kind of put his own mark and stamp on the, on the team as well. But um, at that stage, the, the captain was David Ogilvie, um, who I played with a number of years and had a very good partnership with the centre-half. Um, he played with his institute and captained the club, just, just retired there two years ago. Um, and uh, so he was the captain. Then the following year... Um, I suppose Orin had had decided to give me the the armband Um, and I I was probably quite surprised at that stage I'd have been probably 22. Um, I was young in my career it wasn't something I was uh, particularly had in view of I want to be captain I think it was something more where he identified maybe attributes in me that maybe I didn't realize in myself and he obviously had faith uh, to, to put me over the team because I would have been one of the younger players in the team still as captain, and sometimes that can be difficult if you're, to, if you have older players as well and you have a younger captain. Sometimes the dynamics can be can be tricky. But I am, um, I think I must say, like I, looking back, being completely honest, the first year I was probably a wee bit over. I do not think I knew what to do with it, <laughs> and people, I guess, it's an armband on on your arm, but it felt heavy for for the first year. I kind of was. I felt that maybe it distracted me a little bit off my own game. All of a sudden, you feel more that you have to be more looking and considering everything else that's going on in the pitch as well. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it's you need to be careful that you don't lose focus on your own st- self and your own game as well. And I think for the first year, it felt it was it felt like a hev- heavy responsibility. But I remember, do I remember at one stage I thought, whoa, you know, it has to be the best interest in the team. And if it's not working under me, I, I spoke to you one night. I said, look, you know, with a few bad results, so I, you know, I'm prepared to, to have a conversation around whether you want me to continue as captain. And, you know, I think actually that in itself and that conversation, I think solidified things for me as well. And I think his faith to say to me, no, you're my captain, actually then was a big turning point for me. And yeah. from that, I went on to captain for a further four four years with, with um yeah with things improved and and really just enjoying being captain and the responsibility that came with it too. So yeah, I suppose it comes through, it's, you know, as you a bit of a journey in that and getting used to it as well. Um, as a young player, but I think the faith that he showed in me was ultimately what gave me the confidence to to go out there and to to do it as well. And I think, you know, the, the respect of the other players too uh, at the same time. So, yeah, it was, you know, I knew when I was captain of the club, it wasn't just, you know, this was I knew the responsibility. I knew that I'm you know, representing uh, a community, you know, of, of Coleraine. Um, I was aware of I was representing, you know, um, not just a team, a club, but a community as well. So with that, was very much, you know, being aware of setting a good example as well and encouragement and and communication. So yeah, I probably learned a lot at that stage um, from from Captain the club as well. And it was yeah, I'm very indebted to, to Warren at that stage because it's something great to look back on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and Oren seems to be the type of manager that brings young players through, and he's obviously showed tremendous faith in you to give you the captain's armband. And even today and now the current Coleraine side, he's still bringing those young players through and giving them that level of trust and that level of go and express yourself and here's your chance. Um, and with your form, obviously those number of years, not only was Coleraine getting better, but your own form was getting better. You were beginning to solidify mm-hmm. yourself as one of the best centre-backs in the league. And mm-hmm. eventually you were selected for that Irish League select side to play against Man United. Yeah. Um, how, how fun was that or how unique was that? Well,
1: well do you know, it's something that you know you, you look back on now and it, and it, feels, like, uh, it feels like a dream. It feels like a very... Yeah, it just seems like that that actually happened and uh, it was something really I think that um, it just came about very, very quickly, we just quickly got word that there was going to be um, a game for Harry Gregg's testimonial against Manchester United and very quickly I got contact um, to say that I've been selected um, to play in that and Joe, you know, I think it all happened very quickly where you hadn't really a lot of time to kind of take it in, I think you found out, you know, a week or two weeks before the game and uh and, and then you were just preparing. I think I remember a night we went up and met with David Jeffries, who was managing the team up at Windsor Park, and met with the other players who had been selected. And, you know, at that stage, I think, um, looking back, because I have a photograph on the on canvas in the house of, of myself and Patrice Evra uh, during the game one moment, Um and, you know, looking back, I think at that stage I was about 23. Uh, so again, due to early stages of, of, of my career at Colerain as well and off the back of, of a very good season um, under Roar. Um, so, so, you know, looking back at the occasion, you know, I could I can recall a lot of it. You know, I can recall a lot of the guys who played that night as well in our team, but also um, the Manchester United team as well was filled with, you know, why sometimes a team comes over for a testimonial game or a, or a pre-season game, and they, you know, they bring over a, a mixture of reserve, fringe, and under eighteen players. Yeah. Um, but you know, on this occasion, obviously, it was it was um, Harry Gregg's testimonial, and it and it spoke volumes of the squad that Manchester United brought over to play in that game as well. And you know, the, Alex Ferguson managed the team on the night, and the team was filled with, I think, the backline that night was um, Johnny Evans, Rio Ferdinand, Patrice Ebra and possibly Valencia. Um, in the midfield that night um, you know, you had um, Paul Scholes um, who came on you had uh, Wayne Rooney who came on in the second half, Nanny played out in the left um, up front that night because I played centre half with Albert Watson who, who yeah. turned that Uh Jim Irvine right back and Ross Redmond left back uh, Sean O'Neill in goals and uh, that night it was off and Michael Owen played up top and do you know, it was uh, it was incredible just the the, the stars uh, that came along and made played and played as well. And you on the night we you know credit credit to ourselves we uh, we, we, we one nil one down. Patrice Everett just uh, he's a machine. He just so strong, so fast, sharp, and he just he just. Played a one-two, carried the ball maybe half the pitch, played a one-two and was in in goal, just so so fast and sharp and strong and finished to put them one up. And then my kind of game that night is almost scoring. Uh, <laughs> and everybody knows, if you, and if, with you doing your research, darn you'd probably seen make the goals to game ratio. Just, uh, <laughs> so I think the nearly scoring against Manchester United for me is probably a bigger deal than it would be for most. Um, I can remember we uh, we made an all entrance runs into their half, <laughs> and uh, we uh, we managed to get a corner. Uh, of course, centre half normally go up for corners. I went up, and I think it was Johnny Evans who was who was loosely marking me, um, and. Uh, the corner came in, it was headed out, and I kind of was just on edge of the box, and the ball was bouncing quite high. And of course, in, in front of however many thousand attended the game, it was a sellout that night. Like, the ball was bouncing high, and I thought, if I take the touch here, I'm going to kind of get closed down. So I went up with a full bicycle kick, and uh, <laughs> the, the ball the ball is goal bound nearly nearly near enough to the top corner. And uh, the keeper that night was Thomas Kushak, and uh, they got across and they palmed it out. Um, they watched the ball got cross back in, and Chris Skinnell uh, who who formerly of Cliftonville, um, scored scored the goal. So uh, yeah, and I actually read I read, I read up the write up in the MUTV uh, uh, page website afterwards, and and it had mentioned my ac- acrobatic <laughs> attempt at goal. I think was the was the terminology they gave it. Uh, so that was uh, a special memory of the game uh, as well. But we later got beat four um, one. So. We didn't disgrace ourselves, you know, but at the end when Manchester United are bringing on and Renee in the seventy fifth minute and he scores a free kick, you just know that uh yeah, you just know it's a special occasion as well. Though Sean O'Neill maybe feel that he could have done better. I haven't had a <laughs> conversation with him about that night actually, I really uh, should have asked him what he thought of the free kick. But uh, little did I know I would I would then go on to play in front of Sean for for you know four seasons in my career. So it's interesting how these things uh work out.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a who's who of Premier League players that have managed to squeeze a goal in past Sean. I and mean, When you look at, you know, the Wol- the Wolves result and Fulham, you know, and obviously this result, you know, if he asks Sean, maybe the most famous players ever scored past him, he starts listing Wayne Rooney and Ralph Jimenez <laughs> and Danny Murphy. I mean, there is a bit of a who's who's list there <laughs> who's I don't, managed to don't score, you? get a goal in past them.
1: Rarely do you take glory from uh, from conceding goals, but I think from that caliber of players and teams, it's actually uh, it's actually pretty impressive. Even though they scored past you but actually the caliber of player um, who scored actually it sounds pretty
0: it sounds pretty uh, amazing. So it does. Yeah, I mean. When you were you're obviously playing centre back against Michael Owen and Berbatov, what was that like? Because you're obviously used to playing the Irish League strikers, the Chris Scanell, who's very good. You probably grew up whenever you're a bit younger, Davy Reading, and of those sort of wily veteran strikers. But you, and you're up you're up here against 40 million Berbatov and former, yeah. you know, Golden Ball winner in Europe, Michael Owen. You know what was that like yeah. as a, a centre back? it was incredible because you know very different style
1: of of strikers you know irish league your irish league and those earlier days you know really played with with strikers you know proper strikers that played through the middle played high Do you know um there's a lot of physical battles now the game's changed a little bit for for sometimes it's more your your number 10s you know playing in the hole and and so on but um irish league um playing against strikers was was always a physical battle and many scars and bangs and cuts and Split lips and cut eyebrows <laughs> have had along the way. So actually, Michael Owen and Berbatov a little bit more finesse about them. Uh, Funny enough, and uh, you know Michael Owen was just always very sharp. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, you could see just the the chemistry the players had on the pitch. Where one player picked up the ball, he knew where his teammate was going to be. Um, the player knew the position to get himself into to receive the ball. So you know Michael Owen, um very much when the midfielder got it, he 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 sometimes dropped in. To play up to play, to lay it off, and then he would have span um, and behind as well. Um, And I think probably Michael Owen in his his earlier stages, when he had you know the the electrifying pace before all the hamstring injuries, uh, probably would have been more just playing on the shoulder and making those channel runs. But I think Michael Owen at that stage was, yeah, you know, it's united. Career, his days were towards the end of his career, so he was more dropping in past it and then still had pace about him, you know. So I was just glad that it wasn't, you know, five years previous (laughs) (laughs) to run after him. So that Berbatov, just exactly what you see in TV and how people, you know, explain him to be and describe him as just, you know, silky touch, you know, one touch, you know, will pluck the ball out of the air um, and just makes everything look so easy, doesn't really get out of third gear and just a really Quality player that probably you know a lot of kids aspire to you know to have that touch and have that um just makes the game look so easy as well so he just yeah. really broke a sweat the whole night um <laughs> but you know you just knew that, that, that when you play against teams like that they're, they're three or four steps ahead um that of of knowing where to be at the right time and then when they get into the position they're they're fairly deadly as well. Yeah, uh, I think I remember just on, I remember actually Michael Alone at one stage was, was was I was fairly close close to him. Um and he went to make a wee a wee dart and run Darton to receive the ball. And I think I stood down his Achilles at one stage and uh I don't think I was too impressed. I think I did apologize to him but he <laughs> uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't too happy but I you know welcome to to Northern Ireland, Irish
0: League football, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is funny that way. I remember when I was playing amateur League football years ago over home. We we got uh-huh. Crusaders reserves in the first round of the Irish Cup, and very I had Stiggy McBride was left back, and I remember catching Stiggy yeah. and he just sort of start turned round and stared at me, and I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. I really didn't <laughs> yeah. mean to. And at the same time, I'm like, as a fan, here's our starting left back starting to get fit, and here's me catching him. <laughs> you know, early is early it, season but it's it, I just had the head in your hands type thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was brilliant. Like, um I think at the end of the game, like we were all mad keen. to do uh, people always say, Did you swap shirts? And I said, Well, you can't technically call it swapping shirts because they, they didn't technically want or ask for ours. But we uh <laughs> we, we were asking for their shirts we kept our own, funny enough. And yeah. did you get any you guys... Yeah, I got, I got Nanny's. I have right. Nanny's shirt from the occasion. Um, I tried to get Big Rio Ferdinand's, but Big Albert had already put his name on it before the game. I was a wee, a wee bit naive to thinking, right, maybe I should kind of say before the game. But I ended up with Nanny's shirt. Um, And I have it framed in the house with my own shirt signed by Wayne Rooney and mm-hmm. the match program. So that's in the house, sort of framed and... Uh, I, it's a it's a real it's a real brilliant piece to have and uh, memory of the game as well and obviously now with Harry Gregg having having obviously sadly passed away
0: yeah
1: um, do you know it, it makes it all the more special a memory to have and to have been part of of a legend for you know Manchester United a hero um in regards to uh, the the Munich air disaster um, but yeah. also a uh, a hero in, in Northern Ireland and very locally within the Cole Lane area too, and and obviously now the Harry Gregg um Foundation and an Academy as well. So you know I think when you consider just the what the man has achieved and um, to be part of that, you know even for him alone, let alone playing against Manchester United was was something that. Um, well it'll live long in the memory and it's nice to actually have the opportunity today to reflect back on it because sometimes in sport you're always looking ahead you're looking to the next ball the next opportunity the next game actually until you nearly hang up your boots you don't really reflect back very much and some of yeah. the achievements along the way
0: yeah i mean it, it's incredible and flipping back to corey and we're talking about achievements Coleraine were are really on the verge of on the start of really pushing for things and what would, your, what would you say is probably your greatest achievement at Coleraine for maybe a team level
1: yeah a greatest achievement I suppose on one level captaining the club was, was a big achievement definitely at that stage definitely the youngest captain in the club's history um, not just to have captain the club in a one-off game or to, to receive the armband part of the way through a game or for one game but to actually consistently for, for four seasons uh, to have to have been the club captain as well. Uh, looking back along the way, there was a lot of near misses. There was a lot of nearly, nearly great achievements, but you know, falling just at the last hurdle. We looked at um, I suppose in my time, um, you know, we reached in my first year reached the Irish Cup final, to which I missed it through injury. Played every game up to it, um as well. Then we had the CIS Cup Final, it would have been called back then, which is the kind of the League Cup um, under David Matt where we reached the final and get beaten penalties against Glen Torren at Windsor Park. And then under Oren, we uh, reached the at that stage called the Iron Brew League Cup uh, final, funny, against Crusaders in yeah. the Ballymenish rounds, and again, it was a bit of a miserable per game, but lost out to Chris Morrow, you know, early goal, 1-0. So, do you know, you could tell that the club was on the brink of, of building to and, and and really able to, I think at that stage, very much could match our league in, in, in cup competition over maybe 33 games of the league camp. They may you may have struggled to maintain level but under own there was a clear sign we just narrowly missed out in Europe as well um in, in in one of his seasons. But there was definitely something being built at the club and you very much knew it. Um and and, and it was I must say probably I was I was part of the building process to where the club is today uh right, where at that stage I had a group to the the fruits really um but it, but that later came uh, whenever I moved on then to to Crusaders.
0: Yeah. I mean to go back to that um, cup final at Bellamina Showgrounds against Crusaders. I was actually very fortunate. The what you didn't do in the United game was pre-game. Uh, I had requested Chris Morrow's shirt, so okay. as I have that shirt signed at a nice. It's a great
1: one to have, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, what, what for the club and it, and obviously, you know, Santana Cup winner, League like, winner, Irish Cup. You know, was the top midfielder in the Irish League. Um, yeah. I was just always seen to score against Coleraine. Like yeah. there was a stage when I was at Coleraine, we always drew Crusaders and the Cups, and we just knew that, well, you know, you know, you're looking for a game maybe that you know, might be a little bit more <laughs> straightforward or a game that you maybe had more of a, an opportunity on paper to 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 win it. Um, but we always drew Crusaders and, and generally always get beat generally. So, uh, but yeah, he was a top player at that stage and was a big part of the success of the club too.
0: Yeah, he would, if, if you put me on the spot and ask for my favourite ever Crusaders player, I, I think oh, yeah. I would as probably well. go Chris Morrow. I just thought on his day on form, he was a Rolls Royce. But, I mean, it would, yeah. the injuries killed him a bit through different stages of his career, but as an overall player, I loved him. And then that cup final goal and the shirt, the fact that I got a shirt and stuff like that. I just I just always right. loved watching him as a, as a midfield player. I just thought he was very... Majestic to an extent and yeah. he could also get stuck in a little bit. You know, he could get the ball and he could do something brilliant with it, but he could also throw a tackle in and get stuck yes. in and he seemed to yeah, obviously local boy, local club and stuff like that. Um it just always had a big affinity with me. Um yeah, he
1: took up, didn't he, do you know, around how he played, do you know, high energy strong tackler but you know box to box but could get you a goal and sometimes yeah. a very good goal as well he actually was just leaving when i came in yeah. uh, to chris so I, I i never played with him uh, unfortunately we played against him many times yeah. uh, as well but yes it's such it's a nice to hear you know fans reflect back on players who you know used to play and and and, and players who who did a lot for the club it's very easy to get to forget about all the guys who who really helped bring Crusaders to the position that it's at today, and he's certainly certainly one of them amongst amongst others.
0: Yeah, I mean, sp- speaking off that and where Crusaders are today and the different levels of success and stuff. Uh, you left Colerain to come to Crusaders. What was on uh, your mind whenever that happened? Was it okay? Colerain are building something here, but Crusaders are are challenging for leagues. What was the thought uh, process and moving on at that stage?
1: Like I moved on. Uh, I, I moved on not because I was unhappy, not because there had been any arguments or not because I didn't like it anymore. I, I probably moved on purely to a new challenge to have a look back in career and, career and said, look, I took that I took that jump, I took that risk, you know, to leave a club where I was very happy, at very comfortable as captain had, had clocked up around 340 games um, to take on a new challenge at the age of 26. And I think at that stage, I just knew that... Um, I need a, a new challenge and I wanted to I suppose push myself and see could I could I do it could I play for one of the top clubs in Belfast and um, for maybe a little bit more scrutiny more media attention um, on your game uh, and really be able to to match it and I think probably looking back I could see that definitely there was something building a core and i am been completely honest I maybe didn't think that the the jump as has had happened in the last four years of how well they have done and challenging for leagues and and winning Cups. I probably didn't see that happening as soon as to which it did because I think the following year when I had left, I think that year Corian um, had a really good campaign um, and, and were very much in the latter stages of, of, of Cup competitions the following year. They then pushed us hard all the way for the league title and were in the Irish Cup final so that progress happened very quickly and at that stage when I was, before I moved to Crusaders, I, I probably thought that that real progress to competing across all competitions might not be happening or realistic for another three years perhaps and, and, and obviously it happened much sooner than that but for me at that stage, like I was one year off my testimonial at Corian and by the had stayed at Corian at that stage there was the, the opportunity of a testimonial at, at 26 and, yeah. and you know, back and that's something that I, I sacrificed because I felt that this was an opportunity that might not come around again, it might be, you know, if I I chose not to move, Crusaders would have went out, signed another centre half and, 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 you know, would have played then for the oncoming seasons after that as well, so I just kind of felt that it was a bit of a crossroads in my career where I thought, if I stayed, I probably would, would never move but if I moved, I thought you know, Crusaders at that stage were I think in January when the approach came, Crusaders were very much on course, top of the league, uh, battling it out that year with, with Linfield and went on to, to, to win the league that year. Um, so I knew I was joining the championship winning team, littered with players, Paul Heatley, Gavin White, Jordan Owens, Colin Coates, Sean O'Neill, you know, lots of top, top players. Um, and I knew that the opportunity to win leagues, compete in competitions, was, was huge and there, and and maybe would have had a higher outcome of, of, of winning winning the league or or winning cups as well and obviously with that came the opportunity to play in Europe um to play in the Champions League you know in that first year uh, after the club having won it you know the part we drew Copenhagen you know in yeah. Manchester it just played a few weeks back um and the opportunity to I suppose to add to my my career and my CV of having played in the Champions League um and like that's you know that's what dreams are, are made of and yeah. uh, to go to stadiums and see clubs and play against opposition of multi-million pound players to play in front of you know thousands upon thousands of fans and, and, and packed out stadiums um, is something that's just a, a wee bit special that, that, that you know lots of, of players in their career will, will not have tasted that so to have that opportunity uh, as well um, and almost and at that stage look, I was I, I judge a club very much upon the manager and I, I look at a club and think could I play under that manager um, and Stephen Baxter uh, was one at that stage that I, I, I could play under I was very impressed um, and he asked me the question he says look what's next um, what's next for me uh, and at that stage I felt a challenge uh, and that was that's
0: when since I uh, joined Crusaders. Yeah, and I mean, that first season at Crusaders, there's a lot of talking points. Um, the first season as well, individually, you had a phenomenal season. You won a couple of the awards. I think you won the player of the season and you won the newcomer of the season. Am I, am I right with that?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had a few that year to take home.
0: Thankfully, it was nice. Yeah, and that sort of put a nice... So, sort of say let's put a nice ribbon on the season that maybe as a team didn't work out the way that we probably wanted as a fan and as a player I mean it was well documented that bbc documentary is there we, we've all seen it unbelievable season and at the end just sort of faltered what was yeah. that what was that like as a player
1: I coming into Crusaders the first thing that struck me was I can remember Sean O'Neill said to me he says Look, we don't really concede goals and I was like I had to almost double take because I suppose in my career when you're playing in a team where uh, do you know you you are at the, the, the bottom half of the league and you're, you're every, you know, a lot of games are tough games and you know that you have to dig in deep today and keep it competitive sometimes you know we, we concede it we concede it goals um, a lot of goals but when I joined Crusaders you know Sean said that and I was like really? And, and he was true do you know what is, it, is the defensive partnership, goalkeeper back four is what Crusaders Football Club has been built on down the years. And you yeah. I came in and 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 you know probably filled the position of Davy McGowan in the club. Who do you know I think it speaks, it speaks a lot for a player when a club retires their shirt for them. You know, yeah. um, And to replace big boots in, in and Davy and and he was to to partner, uh, Coopsey at the back. And you, know, you look to your right, you have. Billy Joe Burns you look to your left as Colin Coates and your far left is Craig McLean yeah. and behind you the ever vocal Sean O'Neill um,
0: yeah.
1: um, and you're looking at you know two two big characters in the club as well so I, I came in and the, the, one of the other things that struck me was just and this might sound funny but like the, the amount of times in the game that I was celebrating goals you know, like, you know, in a game, I think that first year, we scored an incredible number of goals. You had all yeah. Paul Heatley, you know, 20-plus goals. You had Gavin White, you know, who was, who was tremendous and that wasn't even his best season. Um, And, you know, you were just, like, in games, hitting three, four goals. And you're constantly just, like, trodden up to celebrate with your teammates because you've, 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 you've scored again. And, and you know, just those kind of things that come into a club that scores has so much firepower. Yeah. but you you realize just the yeah the level of pressure and the level of actually you know in a club that you know come the end of the season the the, the league table shows you know at max three or four defeats across thirty three games you know you're coming into an environment where we're not used to losing and losing is part of the vocabulary really so with that comes more pressure higher expectation as well so that was that was different you know and took a bit of time getting used to but I came in feeling at that stage I I felt that this was a new challenge I really wanted to to do well and to show myself and others that, that I could do it and take that next step as well so that first year on an individual level was tremendous and I think that year I was I, you know I made the, the top three and player of the season across the whole league that year yeah. um, Jamie Mulgrew, Roy Carl and myself were the were the, were the three Final shortlist as well, and had made team of the year too, and had one player of the month across the league on one occasion. So personally, it was tremendous. Collectively, as you said, you know the big campaign was just, um, you know, started middle so well and just tailed off in the, the last part. And you know, people will have their own views of why or how or what could have been done that wasn't done as well. Um, I think looking back, you know, you just you look back at key moments in that, and you just. I think, you know, I look back at the, the game away to Portadown, down at uh, Shamrock Park that evening when the game was changed to a five o'clock kickoff and, you know, I think, you know, that night, I think it ended up a draw and you just felt that, oh, that was, that was a key, a key moment in the title race as well, because I think Linfield had won earlier in the day.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and you look back at key games, you know, I suppose that day at Windsor Park, uh, where where we got beat and then all of a sudden for the first time that season the league it was out of our hands. Um, so looking back it was such a dis- disappointment because we were scoring goals for fun. Um, we just you know we didn't concede that many, um, but we just tripped and, and faltered at, at key moments as well. And I think we did. You know I think that year I think it's for half I think I played just about four different center-half partnerships because we had you know, Coach who was out for a long injury we had yeah. you know, DJ played a center-half uh, Keno came in from Sligo played full-back center-half as well um, Michael Galt played a part in a center-half as well so I think it would be four or five different partnerships in there but we, yeah the disappointment and, and, and it was shown through the documentary as well and, and perhaps maybe um, maybe there was a lot of pressure being, being put on at that stage for maybe it needed to be a case of more of a containing manner of wanting to get this done. But I remain hopeful, We're going to keep the faith and, and, and keep going. As it felt as if, suddenly, in some of those defeats, the pressure was ramped up from within. Uh, perhaps we know collectively we, we, we could have done more, and it was disappointing because it would have been four in a row given them winning it the following year.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that that is the big thing. I mean, from a, from a fan perspective, I think. Even that, that season looking at it, I there's maybe I don't I don't know how much players are really affected by how the how the fans are acting in the stands or not, but from a fan perspective, maybe whenever there was a defeat, it wasn't. From a fan perspective of oh, come on, lads, we'll make it right next week. Maybe it was let's add pressure, let's boo them off here, it's not good enough. You know, and maybe yeah. that all plays in mentally, I don't know, but it it certainly seemed to uh, sort of curtailed towards the end, but obviously the next season would the fact that you got so close Mm. and and didn't win was that a motivator for the following season it's like no matter what we're winning the league this year or was that desire already there or did that just intensify maybe the desire I think
1: very easily it could have went one of two ways. Um, it could have it could have really flattened us and, and and really taken a long time to get over. You know, physically what you put into a league campaign, mentally what you put into a campaign of training ahead of big game playing and big occasions, knowing that there's so much. To lose, so it could have really had the impact of, of of really taking almost a season to kind of to deal with and get over. But thankfully, it, it had the opposite effect of we, we we felt that we we had started something that we hadn't finished. Uh, we we knew that within the squad, you know, you looked around, you 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 had ultimate faith in all your teammates because there was extremely talented players who had been there and done it time and time again. And you know that second season, Gavin Gavin White, you know, really. Uh, just took off to a whole new level um, Paul Heatley, you know you look at his stats over his career it's incredible and you know and, and, and doesn't probably get the credit it deserves if, if it had been in, in another league or at a different level you know you have Jordan Owens as well the club all time top goal scorer and you had you know your common coach but you had you had players in the league like Philip Lowry as well Um, been there and done it with Linfield you know, Dickey Cadell you know, testimonial last year serving to the club been there and done it Santana Cup winner and you look you BJ Burns you know who who is probably one of the best players that I've I've played with um definitely and uh, so you know you looked around and you thought guys if we don't do this with the ability and the quality and the experience of, of of the team you know when is there going to be a better opportunity to do this and thankfully that year we, we really did kick on and and we we were pushed hard to in and Yeah. There were some big games along the way that you know I think the very first game in the split was was at home to Col Rain that Tuesday night, a packed out club, packed out stadium, and I think it ended a draw that night. But that was a key game that the previous year we might have lost. Um, but but the following year there was something more. You know, maybe the word galvanised. Maybe the defeat. You know, I think as a team you, you got got to hurt together. As one coach said, you got to hurt together to really push you on to the next level to experience success sometimes and sometimes the best clubs come from a place of having lost uh, in a big occasion that then spurs them on to, to win together so thankfully that year that we we did it um do you know what's funny because you know a very another key game at the Ballymena showgrounds as well to which the previous year we we lost yeah Ballymena I and thankfully uh, second time round we won it, and do so even in that game where you were trying to just mentally just focus and not not allow your mind to drift to how it went terribly wrong the previous year to actually the mental toughness that day to to beat Palme. in the first half, you know, you could sense it was nervy. You know, guys that were firing were just were just missing yeah. um shots and goal, and you just felt you know you're like. I think everybody would admit to thinking, surely this can't go the way it did the previous year. But you know, you look in that game, even looking back now, I'm thinking Brian Jensen two massive saves he pulled out first half, tipped one yeah. round post from, uh, from Miller, uh, and then second half a header from Braniff going in the top corner, and they somehow pushed it out. Um, you know, took the lead, so I think in that game, you know, we, we knew we had to win that game, and Balomina went ahead in the game as well, but thankfully yeah, uh, David Cushley and then and then Todd Lowry as well um, got us over the line that day. But I think looking, I don't know. I think probably that year because if you look back at most seasons, I think teams teams generally, you know, win by you know four or five points coming into the season. Around close the last couple of games, they just pull away. But that year, we went to the very point it took to beat Coleraine, and I think that season took so much that perhaps. I don't know if it's fair to say the following season where our league form tailed a little bit. I think we we've, we've been so much have been put into the
0: previous season. You know, I've heard you know similar comparisons even with Man City from the previous two seasons to this year. You know, they've just drained, fatigued, especially you know coming so close with Crusaders. You know, the first season, then winning at the second season. You know, the level is so so high. And mm-hmm. then the third season, you know, there there could be a bit of just mental fatigue and just a bit of burnout perhaps. Yeah. But even with even with that, you still lifted the Irish Cup. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So the, the the season may not have been what you want in terms of the league campaign, but for, for me as a as a supporter, if you said, Hey, you're not gonna win the league this year, but you're gonna win the Irish Cup, it's like no problem. Great season.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and for me on a, on a personal level that was the first time I'd I'd won
0: the the
1: Irish Cup I'd made the final. Um, for Coleraine against Linfield when I was 17, um, didn't play in it that day, actually didn't end up playing in that one but you know, I was in the squad that day and had, had definitely played a part in, in, in the club getting to, to the final so yeah. we knew that day that was a crucial game because it also got us into Europe to which we later uh, went on to draw Wolves so uh, that was important uh, to, to win it that year as well for a
0: number of reasons Yeah, and just see that, that cup final in general how? What was the attitude in the changing room with that cup final? Because normally, and I said respectfully to Balna-Mallard because they made the final. But usually, when you get to a cup final, it's two big teams. There, it's two closely matched teams, two evenly matched teams. Like I go all the way back to two thousand and nine, to when we beat Cliftonville one nil with the Mark Dixon goal. You know, you you know, you're sit, you're biting your nails, everything. This final seemed very straightforward. What was it like as a player?
1: Um I you know, we, we treated Ball Mallard with huge respect in our build up. We you know, one Wednesday morning we sat and watched extended highlights of Ball game against Warren Point, which had been the semi final. Um so we, we did our homework on them. Um it was a tricky opposition because we probably didn't know a lot about them you know they weren't they weren't in our league they were playing the league below and, and maybe we we would have been more aware of of them and players if they had been playing in our league and um, because it was a league below do you know maybe they, we maybe hadn't followed them as closely throughout the season so so we, there was that quantity to it as well we knew that you know within the team you had richard clark um who's playing who, who's pulled the strings for the and crusaders and valentine and for years technically uh, one of the best ball players um in the Irish League over the last long number of years and and, and played with him as well at Crusaders and um so you knew there was the likes of, of Clarkey there and they had, you know, experienced players within the squad who had played at the top level in, in, in the Irish Premier League as well, who were still there. And um, you know, an experienced goalkeeper in John Conley at, you know, forty plus years of age who Harry McConkey, a you know, a very able manager experience as well, and I think in those games you just know that this, you know, when you play against a team who have nothing to lose and everything to gain, um, you know, there's no pressure on them. You know, playing as a team with less pressure um, can can make a very dangerous team, and that's why I think you find teams slip up against maybe smaller opposition because they either take them too lightly and the opposition are playing with less expectation, you know. So we we knew like, and, and nobody wanted to be, you know. I suppose in, in many ways having lost out winning an Irish Cup and Europe to, to being defeated by a team who was you know, in the league below um, yeah. the, we probably would have never gotten over that or never have been allowed to so the preparation was, was uh, and an credit to Stephen was, was as much as if it would have been Linfield or Cliftonville and I think on the day players were you know we were just as nervous as we would have been if it was any other team too uh, so the occasion actually you know it's it's 22 players, two sets of goalposts and a ball. do You know, anything can happen um, on, on that day. So, no, we, we, we very much did our homework, treated them with respect. And I think in the game, you've got an early goal as well, which is key in those big opportunities. And I think teams who tend to take the lead in those big games, cup finals, tend to go on uh, and, and it gives the team the confidence and settles them down. Uh, So to go on and to to win it was very special
0: uh, as well. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, for me as a fan, I I love the Irish Cup. For me, the Irish Cup final is the best day of the season. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, the season's over. It's sort of, you know... You're closing the curtain on the season. It's usually, unless you're Portadown or Glentoran, it's usually a really nice day. The sun's yeah. usually out. There's Uh-oh. a good feeling about it. You go out for your fry up in the morning with yeah. your dad, and then you head up to the match. Brilliant day out. Um, yeah. the Irish Cup final. And yeah. but but moving on to this season, bit yeah. of a bit of a unique season, obviously with with, with what happened with COVID and stuff. Um, mm. there's a League Cup final defeat in there in a very yeah. tight game with Coleraine and sitting third on goal difference as everything is put on hold by COVID. Yeah. Talk to me about this season in general, but specifically about what happened when COVID hit and the mentality of yourself, the players, the team, and how did it affect you, affect other people, and yeah. just everything that went on in and around that area. Sure,
1: it's a good question. Um,
0: looking back this season,
1: um, it's, it's actually hard to actually remember much of the most parts of the season before COVID, you know, it feels like it almost feels like there's been two seasons have passed, um, yeah. and it's really been one. And um, you're trying to think, you know, what was you know, what was before Covid, what was this year, what was maybe the previous season. Um but, you know, I think in regards to um you know league form and I suppose, you know, it was it was very up and down and not our usual know, consistent levels. Um, lots of changes to the team um, personnel players in players out and you know just seem to lack a bit of um, consistency that actually if you look at clubs who win titles and and so on it's built upon a, a, a consistent level of, of personnel um, as well so there's a lot of changes movement happening positionally and and, and players as well but we you know we'll look back at I suppose, times where, you know, sometimes the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, probably. The season, a wee bit, you know, showed moments of, of, the, of the quality we have, but another other moments, um, not at a level that is required. And um, I think as, as well, you know, you're looking at the, the League Cup final, Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're on a good run coming up to that uh, as well. And, and unfortunately, on the night, you know, first half, dominated. Um, didn't get her goal uh, then went one 0 down just before the break to a, to, to a penalty that was was dubious um so you're going in one 0 down and i think yeah i just think you know, on the on big occasions like that i think you'll know, have times a key moment you know you see the difference you know you just see the importance for a manager to get their players gathered in and to deal with you know the nerves or to deal with the performance and really set set out to you know, how are we going to Improve upon this, you know, or how we're going to make this better. And you know, I remember, I remember speaking to Grant Cameron, and uh, he had spoken to one of the Corian players, and he says that the team talk delivered by Oren Kearney at half time inspired the team to go on and to finish the job. And I think that was a key, a key moment. Was the instructions of, of the manager at that stage? We come out second half, and and we were we were uh, We looked off it, and Corian get a second a second goal really. So yeah do you want to be competitive is actually a, a competition i i haven't won i've reached the final and that would have been the third occasion um yeah. and, and 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 obviously we were beat on the night as well and i think so i think when you lose big games like that then, well it's hard not to affect them um, what comes afterwards and you know, you look at probably our our form and were we playing at that top top confidence and were we had we you know were we you so really at tip top of our game individually. I think probably last season, probably ever looked a little bit short of their of their usual of their ability and what they would normally produce for one reason or another. So, you know, the semi final against Glen was was another disappointment. or the quarter final, sorry, they uh, had beaten at the Oval that day too. And, and obviously circumstances of you know at the end of the game and penalty and sending offs and stuff was a wee bit sour as well. But yeah it was disappointing and then I think actually you know we, we, our last game um, possibly Limfield that night in 3D where again we were, we were, we were hammered that night uh, in BBC and uh, I think sorry Institute then we played in the league uh, and we beat them we kind of straight through that bench Institute at Seaview and then that was the final game we were due to play Glen Torren in the league at Seaview yeah. and that game obviously didn't go ahead and neither did, did any of the rest of them so it came to a bit of an abrupt end you know I think you know the indecision around decision making of when the league, what was happening. So we were, you know, it was. I can remember sitting at work at two o'clock Friday, and at that stage it hadn't yet been a decision as to whether the game was going ahead the next day or not. And I particularly remember the news group of like Arteta, Ar- Arsenal manager, having tested positive, and, I think yeah. people, and people were like, right, this this is serious. And I think late in the afternoon, you know, IFA stepped in to say, look the game would not be going ahead the next day so there's been a lot of indecision it's been hard to you know keep in motivation you, you need a goal to focus on and to aim towards and start dates for training and matches you know have, have has always seemed like it was poorly managed uh getting that out there but during lockdown, you know we were we knew because they on the one and not know when something was happening you knew it could have time nearly so you had to make sure that you were keeping yourself ready to be the drop of a happy back plan. you know i find during lockdown you know felt really motivated and um, there was there was rest during that time but there was also you know opportunity to focus on training as well um, individually uh, and we were well equipped with the uh, pro- work through uh, as well and that was uh, yeah I enjoyed the the rest but also the keeping myself fit uh, and, and active as well.
0: Yeah I mean that seemed to be the thing with with sort of COVID in general you know a lot of people either really had that sort of motivation to get themselves out and do something like I, I noticed a lot of people with downloading strava and getting a lot of running in who maybe didn't run the roads and yeah. maybe you got maybe gyms were closed they, they couldn't so it was their only way to maybe do something if they didn't have any equipment at home and a lot of people have seemed to use this break albeit it's been frustrating to try and improve themselves and get into a better place in life in terms of their fitness and their maybe general health level which is really probably going to set a lot of people on good stead here for maybe pre-season whether it be at the Irish League level or even grassroots or amateur league or whatever I think yeah. a lot of people will be coming in here probably a lot more fitter than maybe what they usually would yeah um, and it'll be a case of maybe just getting match fitness up rather than you know just your fitness level
1: totally um and, and you know the one the only piece of the jigsaw that was missing was the, the matches and match fitness that comes with that as well that you can't Replicate any other way. Um, you know, individually we trained and, and trained hard and followed followed our programs. But obviously those match scenarios, those competitive environments, you know that fitness, that game, game day experience of dealing with, you know, dealing with your your mentally as well preparation, dealing with stress, dealing with 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 nerves as well, like those kind of things that are only come with with playing and, and matches and game situations you, know, you can't replicate that um but you know coming back again you know it's i'm very thankful that i used that time to to keep keep fitness up and to, to focus maybe opportunities to train in different ways as well and and actually just train a little bit for enjoyment too um you know go out walking as well and you know and obviously then when things began to relax you know train with uh, you know a couple of teammates as well which is good for motivation levels too so yeah it tests motivation i think it tests kind of mental strengths as well but you know you know you have a responsibility um to keep yourself in shape and and to keep yourself fit for fit for uh for playing too uh but it was a time i think that yeah uh i look back on and and, and certainly allowed allowed a bit of a break from the the busyness of life uh to almost sit down and reflect upon you know, what was happening and actually what the next
0: number of months and years might look like. Speaking of like sitting down and reflecting, it was it, it's well documented, hired with, with you and your life that, that you're a Christian. And it's a big it was it was mentioned in the Keeping the Faith documentary and Matthew Snoddy and stuff made reference to you and helping them along the way. How does being a Christian affect you in the footballing environment? What does it mean for you to have faith and be in an environment such as the Irish League where it is fiery and competitive? Yeah,
1: I think firstly it has to affect you on a on a personal level. I think it has to, you know, I look at even my own experiences and I ask myself the question, you know, early stages, am I a fan or a follower? Um, and, and it has to be more than just church attendance it has to be more than just that kind of casual commitment um that kind of fan that respect of of religion of 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 god to actually be in to use an analogy as well and um, to be in a follower uh you know and, and it's a great terminology when you think of oh, it from a football perspective fans are followers you know i think you know followers i look at as those people who there's higher commitment there's an all-in attitude you know there's an all-or-nothing there's a moving forward not looking behind there's a sense of it costs you something Do you know when you, you think of a follower of a football club you know somebody who will you know buy their season ticket they'll follow their club home and away they'll make those wet one day nights to Stangmore Park to cheer on their team and stand in the wet Do you know you look at a, a follower just brings to it a, le- a greater level of probably of commitment of sacrifice as well and uh, for me Anyway, firstly, I look back and and I became a follower, a Christian, at the age of of sixteen. Um, at that stage, so I think it has to it has to impact your heart, so it has to be heart level, um, as well, um, to which then it will impact your lifestyle uh, and the choices you make, and ultimately, uh, as you've asked, within the football environment as well. Um, and you know, within that environment, it's um, you know, obviously the, the history of Crusaders as a club who has been. You know, it's been referred to as a God squad in the past. Um, There's always been a contingency of Christian players and staff at the clubs. There's always been just that history with it. Um, But being in in a football club, um, you know, it has to be be lifestyle. It has to be something that changes you and on and off the pitch as well. Um, (laughs) I've had my fair share of yellow cards and the odd red one down the year as well. Uh, but it has to just, I suppose, affect the person that you are first and foremost, because every player is a player, but they're a person. Um, and for me, it's it's asking the question, well, do you know, have a gift and ability to play football? How can that be done in a way that brings honour to God? Um, and I think it's about looking at it. Uh, there's a great passage in the Bible, Colossians three sixteen that says, And whatever you do, whether word or indeed do it all, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that's a verse that I like, and there's one that follows shortly after it says, And whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Um, so for me, I, I look at football as looking at the purpose of, of, of doing it for God's glory. But with that as well, it, it means doing it with all your heart as well, um, being an all-in attitude. Um as well and that's a, a real example of, of Christ and I think it's about being a good teammate as well. Do you know, it's being sacrificial, it's uh, putting the team before yourself. It's you know being available on and off the pitch to your teammates. It's do you know, the the language that you use and choose not to use. It's it's how you conduct yourself in victory but also in defeat as well. And it's those little conversations you have along the way that sometimes you never know, just the impact upon them and obviously the the, the through the, the documentary as well really really showed through and, and how you know God was moving in in the football club um and how you know he, he just asked us to be available and he uses us in, in great ways as well. Yeah, being being a Christian it's something for me that it is it's not just a one day of the week, it's not just a Sunday thing, but it's twenty four seven and it's and it's admitting shortcomings, mistakes and failures uh as well. Um, but it's, it's continued to press forward uh, towards the goal.
0: And and uh, as you as you've spoke about there, about being a follower, about being a follower of, of the Lord Jesus, in in this regard too, you would almost be indirectly maybe, because I know the, the Christian prerogative is you want to point to Jesus and not yourself, but you would have young people in their faith maybe look up to you and be like, oh, he's a Christian and he can play football. Do you yeah. feel any weight of any responsibility or influence or is that just something you embrace um, with being maybe in a very in a public environment, I guess?
1: I think you have to be aware of it. I think you have to be aware that you're in a position. You can't be too naive to that. You need to be wise. Uh, and how you live and conduct yourself before others. Um, I think as well you can't take too much pressure. Because ultimately we, we know that it's 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 God that changes hearts, uh, and that's outside of my control. Um, and and ultimately it's it's the Holy Spirit that works in the hearts and the lives of people. But along the way, you know, we're, we're 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 commanded to to walk in love. We're commanded to walk wisely before uh, others. We're commanded to live um, like shining lights. So there's a responsibility of of being aware but not being crippled by the oh you know, I slip up here, you know, could this cause somebody to take away all in their faith, you know, you know, yeah. it, it, it can't be to that description or to that level. But I think yes, there's a sense of looking and, and as mature believers and setting an example for, for others who, who are coming along the way and who, who follow and you know that's something I've always probably taken seriously. It's something that I've probably been aware of a lot. And, and 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 certainly was aware of the importance of that of others who come in, whether that's in you know it's speaking at an event or whether it's you know how you respond to a bad tackle in training. You know, there's always eyes watching, um, and you only th- sometimes you don't realise that they are, uh, but sometimes it's not until you you slip or fall that you you realise. And I think there is a level of. Uh, you know, when, when God gives you a gift or a level of being aware of how you can use that to help others I think to use the gift that glorifies God is being aware of using it to bless others uh, and using it to help others as well so I think that's a key part of of playing football to do it for God's glory involves the, the purpose behind it but being aware of it to, to help others along the way
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. It is the, the purpose of, of helping others as, as you go through your own personal journey as well. And as you mentioned, you speak at various events. That's obviously something you enjoy doing. And I'm assuming you want to continue doing that. So maybe what's next for you in terms of your faith? Is that something you see yourself getting more involved into or, or doing it perhaps as you go?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, looking back, um, I've kind of probably been doing that from about the age of 16 17 so probably first 13 years uh going about the country to churches uh youth events uh, men's breakfasts different church events um around a lot a lot of churches across uh, northern ireland so as i look back it's something that i've enjoyed but when you reflect back on it, it's been probably 13 years i've done that and you know i can remember back at the very early stages when whenever i was a young christian i, I went to a, a youth uh Event one one night um called Soul Cafe uh it took place down um in Drumreea Church and and that night you know they would have had different people coming to share their testimony and and one night uh it was Nathan McCall um who Irish League footballer played for uh Cliftonville played Balamina, Lisburn Distillery uh Bangor I think as well possibly so so uh, Nathan spoke shared his testimony that night and he was an Irish League player but he was a Christian who faith meant something to him and he was eager to share it with others and as a, I think at that night, maybe I was 16 uh, maybe 15, um, I can remember thinking I would love to do that too um, to to play in the Irish League but to tell other people about Jesus um, and to use the platform uh, that comes through playing in the Irish League and you know what that was how it it turned out for me but that that inspired me a lot that night listening to, to Nathan's story Um, of how he shared the faith but he was a footballer but he could still be faithful to God as well Uh, and his faith meant something to him and and it it impacted his life Uh, so that was probably a springboard for me and then all of a sudden you're a Christian you're playing Irish League football churches and places are keen to have you along to to speak at them Um, so my goodness many journeys around the country to places far and wide Uh, (laughs) but it was was tremendous and I I never look back and think ah if I hadn't went that night I could have done something else you never look back and, and regret you never look back and think that was time you know, ill spent, it, it, it never was and, and I did that and, and I really enjoyed it and um, I was able to share faith and, and not to point to perfection by any stretch of the imagination but to point to, to faith as being um, in my life as, as progression you know, um, learning, developing and that relationship with, with God as well and during that time the the number of people that i'd have spoken to at those events as well and and you pray that 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 it's still speaking today as well but it's been something again that comes back to being given a a gift to play and to do that to the glory of god i think that was another way that i felt that um it was it was part of honoring god by by doing those things as well um by by sharing uh and, and telling of jesus to other people too and yeah, and, and along the way, uh, people have been encouraged and and inspired as well and, and maybe a timely word uh along the way. So yeah, it's a great time looking forward now. Um if you I look back, you know, Nathan Nathan McConnell as did Michael Halliday, obviously a Christian Irishy player back at that stage too, there's been myself for the last number of years, so maybe there'll be somebody else that kinda of comes along uh demand. Uh but it's been look, I think Covid has kind of put a hold on things There um, we were speaking engagements that I had that obviously didn't go ahead and, and stuff so it just depends really how churches begin to, to get back to a, a different way of working um, as well but certainly I've enjoyed the time over, over the years of, of doing that um, and, and certainly would be open to, to again but we'll just see how, how things go.
0: Yeah I mean there's definitely be big changes after, after Covid and everything that went on there and obviously, with yourself being a Christian and and wanting to help other people and to help pull people along the way and whatever, mm-hmm. you're obviously your your actual job. You work for, um, the Child Adolescent Mental Health Service. Yeah, so that's right. With that, um, obviously with your Christian beliefs and stuff, there seems to be a bit of an overlap there, just in terms of wanting to help people, wanting to provide, wanting to encourage and. Uh, and all that sort of thing so what exactly do you do there and do you see any overlaps in 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 your life just in terms of maybe your christian beliefs and then what you do for a living in terms of how it helps other people
1: yeah that's a great question and and you know there are a lot of parallels between my role as a social worker within CAMS and and working with children and young people and then when you look at what the Bible says and 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 what a Christian is and the fruits of the Spirit and and all those things that we're called to example, there certainly is lots of parallels. And I think you know, social work and the profession, it's very value led. You know, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at compassion, you're looking at respect, being non-judgmental. Do you want know, all those things? There's a, there's a clear crossover with with how we are called to live and conduct ourselves as, as Christians as well. So there is a very, you know, a very helping sacrificial caring aspect um, that we see and those values being exampled when we open the scriptures and, and look at the lifestyle of Jesus as well we see those example that non-judgmental attitude of of you know the woman at the well when when Jesus meets her there and 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 her way of life her lifestyle you know um was probably contrary to to to, to the word of God but yet we've seen Jesus coming along being non-judgmental uh, you know, responding to her with truth, yes, but with grace and, and patience and kindness as well. And, uh, you know, as I look at the role and my role on work, uh, those key values, you know, of of how we uh, treat people and, and, you know, that's challenging sometimes. It involves treating people with respect who maybe haven't respect to others and their decisions and their behaviours and what they have done. And, um, and, you know, it's challenging at times as well. But, Within that role, there's there's definitely a clear um, opportunity to, I you know I think to 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 be involved in people's lives and the not so nice parts to try and help them. Do you know they're maybe stuck in a rut? They're maybe you know have, have their mental health has, has declined um, over time to really to come in and to I think Joe you know, um, helping um, them believe and and feel hopeful that things can change and to feel motivated to. the the, the work that that will be done with them will help the situation as well Uh, but it's it's very much about I find in, in, in the profession is it's about listening it's about you know seeking to understand the experiences in the life of, of, of a young person of families as well it's being non-judgmental you know it's it's about you know realizing that yes choices along the way have, have been the best ones but you're you're very much focusing. on well what can we do from here do you know why can we move forward here in spite of everything that has happened before so there's a real sense of um I think wanting to help young people. Do you know we would we will work with young people who, in regards to you know high levels of anxiety, um, anger problems, uh, self harm, thoughts of life not worth living, uh, young people who have attempted suicide, young people who are feeling suicidal, um, and young people who are um, you know traumatized or experienced a traumatic event in life as well, young people who have witnessed. Um, domestic violence um, so you know, all those things really are, are heavy things you know um, and, and to have the, the opportunity to, to be involved in, in another person's life to try and steer in, in, a, in a positive direction um, to restore a little bit of hope uh, and and to help restore I suppose, a little bit of, of better choices being made as well is is, is a, a type of work that I really enjoy doing encouraging young people is, is being being a, a stable. Uh, figure in their life as well and um, helping encourage and direct them maybe in a way that maybe they haven't had uh, within their life as well so it's a yeah it's a role that just you know from day to day it could it could involve so many different things uh, as well uh, but your, your main do you know, I can remember back when, when you talked about you know some of the values between faith and, and social work I can remember back in my, my interview and I've uh, been asked, you know, why do you want to do social work And I can kind of look back and the very word I use was, I want to help people. And, and that's pretty much the textbook answer. But at the, at the end of the day, that has to be at the core of, I think, in the career. Um, and in many careers it is it's the desire to help others, um, which is, a, you know, which is, you know, we look at the Bible and it, and it talks about, you know, consider others greater than yourselves, you know, um, love your neighbour as yourself. So There's just a clear a clear um, overlap uh, within, within that as well
0: it's massive I think the overlap I think between your faith and what you do and the desire to help but I think that desire to help also comes from a position maybe how about a word it correctly maybe like a, a position of leadership maybe directly or indirectly you know you were captain at such a young age you took your team for five six seven years before you moved on you're one of the older players maybe when I say older you're not you're older in terms of your Irish League experience. You know, mm-hmm. you're only 30 years old. You've had maybe, I see, 14 years of, of Christian experience in, in your life. And now, whether directly or not, or whether you even see it or not, there's a degree of leadership there mm-hmm. in your life from what you do and your desire to, to help people and your desire to, to to pull people along, to encourage them. Do you see yourself as a leader? Or is that something that really just sort of comes from within, from your, from maybe your personality and your characteristics?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a really good way of putting it. I think, um, you know, as I look back in, in other leaders, some of the the leaders that have most you know spoken or helped guide me has been probably individuals who have who've never really claimed the title, but their lifestyle showed it. Um, you know, leaders who who don't, I suppose, say, "You know, I am the leader. I am a captain," do you know, but rather it's just an unspoken example being lived out on a daily basis through the words they say through the way they live their life as well so i think you know that and, and yes obviously there's certain leadership characteristics uh as well do you know, i think for me and i guess people respond to different leaders um and there's different types of leaders as well uh but i think for me just that you know that's servant leadership is, is a key trait of of, of leadership where it's not considering yourself better than others or putting yourself on a pedestal but it's actually saying do you know what I'm actually happy to collect the cones after training um, or I'm happy to collect the empty water bottles after training you know to do those menial tasks you know that some leaders may see that is above them to do do that so I think like servant leadership is it's one of the most effective examples and it's just leading the way but just a consistent you know just quietly getting on with it as well but People tend to respond to that, um, because leadership is is matching the words with the behaviours and the actions too. I think with leadership comes there's there's an element of you know sacrifice as well. You know you you leadership you you lead a team, so it means you know sacrificing for yourself on occasions for the better of the team. So being a you know, being a team player is huge within that as well. And I think you know just I think if you just quietly want to see people thrive. And you want to do what you can to, to, to help others thrive in life and to, to set an example. Do you know that will, will go a long way in any team environment too? And I think it's being, I think with its consistency on and off the pitch of setting an example for other people to follow. And I think part of leadership, you know, you can evidence and demonstrate leadership at any age, um, but obviously maturity and experience of life helps as well um, along the way. So yeah, I think... You know, for me, I, I would never naturally refer to myself as a leader, but I think um, often I think the greatest signs of, of leadership is when other people um, affirm it within you, um, when other people see it. Um, those Leadership, as I look back and the captioning of Korean, that was something that was noted by somebody else. Those, those attributes that maybe I hadn't seen in myself but ultimately other people had
0: seen them um, as well. So I
1: think that's an important part where it's actually sometimes other people see it
0: and identifies it in you-, you. We've said that where Orrin's seen it and he identified it. And I even think, as you maybe touched on earlier, when you've went to him after a couple of bad results and went, look, if you need to take this off I and mean, put it on someone else so we can kind of move yeah. forward, um, <laughs> you can. And I think that really emphasises or... It gives, gives him the idea of, no, he cares. He wants yeah. this to be successful. And I think that affirms, as you the word affirm, I think it's a brilliant word. I think that affirms to him he's made the right decision because he's got someone, not only who just puts the arm band on and goes, he's got someone who's thinking about this, who wants it to be a success, who's giving yeah. his sweat and blood and tears to make this successful. And he's prepared to give up maybe the spotlight and to have people's yeah. tongues wagging just to make sure yeah. this is better and yeah. i think that's that probably said a lot to him and made him think yeah. i've definitely made the right decision but to go on to maybe crusaders and under this season specifically colin Coates being the club captain for at least uh, 10 years from or maybe more than that um probably yeah he has been more than that and he left in january that not only left a gap in crusaders back four But that's obviously left a massive gap in the club in terms of the leadership on and off the pitch in the changing room. Is that something where you felt you can step up and help out in? Or is there a number of players in that club? Because you do have your Sean O'Neill's, your Billy Joe Burns, your Philip Lowry's, yourself. There's a number of players, Jordan Owens, Declan there's You could name 10 players who have been around and done it who could maybe step up and do something. Is that something that happens automatically in the changing room? Or is that something maybe a manager has to say? Okay, lads, this is the direction we're going in now and this is our captain.
1: I think that was a very difficult situation for nobody more than Colin himself. I think it was very difficult for the fans as well. I think it it, it happened very quickly and very sudden and there was no ending, if you like to say. Um, There was no kind of goodbyes. There was no, here's a captain, a player for 20-odd years and who has given us... Career to the club, um, it just seemed to happen very suddenly, uh, and, and I think it's probably left a bit of a sour taste in, in a lot of people's uh mouths over just kind of how it came about, um, and ultimately, look as players, you know, we don't know all the ins and outs of, of what happened and all the finer details, but I think certainly amongst fans, there was a a real uh frustration about maybe not being able to say goodbye in a way that that level of service would deserve and. You know, Coates, was a player who, if there's one thing about him, I would put my finger on that trumped everything else was his presence. He carried an incredible presence about the place. Like it was like Colin Coates. It's, you know, he, he was in the change room. You're aware of him on the pitch. Opposition player for aware of him. He just carried this sense of, you know, a team sheet with Colin Coates in it makes a big difference uh, if you're in the opposition and haven't been on the other side. You know, when you see a, a team sheet with concos, it just it just carries something that I haven't seen with many other players that I've played against before. And, you know, I, you can't not have a, a gap that is left in, a, in an emotional but also a physical level too with, with somebody, somebody being there all this time uh, as well. Um, so that was... Yeah, yeah. It was just the more you think about it, the stranger it feels, um, and how it just kind of all of a sudden happened. There was no real ending or goodbyes as such. Um, but with that, you know, a club has to, you have to continue. Players have to continue. Um, you, you're looking to others to then to step up, and you've, you've named so many names in the team that you know lots of teams would love to be having that number of people that they could look to. To, to I think probably not just one individual person but probably collectively, everybody doing a little bit more, taking on a wee bit more responsibility and being aware of maybe the the gap that has been left and I think collectively you're looking to your senior players to really galvanise and come together and to push things on as well so I would say probably within the team there's a real collective experience of a number of players who could fill that and obviously the club and Stephen will will identify the the, the key person to spearhead that so uh, but I think collectively yeah people have, have stepped up a bit more
0: and I think as a fan too and i a, a lot of fans will probably listen into this it, it's something good for us to hear because when as you said when, when Colin did leave there was that sense of oh no it's like that's our leader that's our inspiration, that's our guy. Do you know what I mean? Like whenever I, I think back to so many moments, I remember we won the Irish Cup and he was like a wall in 2009. And then we probably a bit in over our heads, maybe that started that next season where we, we were like, we could win a league. We could win a league. And I think we won our first six or seven games. We went to Windsor and won one nil, and he came up with a big towering and header. And then you look at the, the Satanta Cup final, he just would not lose that game. He just refused <laughs> to lose that game. There There is that presence. There is that character that he has and he sort of embodies a lot similar to maybe chris morrow but in a different kind of way he embodies a lot of of what the club was about um for for that period of time and he will be um and has been already even though it's only really been what two months given the covid and stuff and everything being stopped but he will be a massive loss and the crusaders not only on the pitch but off the pitch and in the changing room and and as you've really said it'll be really up to steven and the backroom staff as to who really takes that on, but it's going to be big. It's big bits to fill. Whoever, whoever does take that on. And it's a lot of pressure given the yeah. man that went before you. It's often like, you know, the moist of Fergie, if I can use yeah. that analogy, Absolutely. it's almost the unwanted, the unwanted yeah. next man.
1: To, to do that. Yeah. Do you know, what, it'll, be, it'll be a big, it was a big hole to fill. Um, I think could experience and what he's given to the club, uh, over the years. And, you know, it works two ways. You know, a club is, you know, gives to a player, but a player commits to a club and gives, you know, of course he's given his whole career. I know during his career he had maybe other opportunities to, to move elsewhere along the way, but he remained um, committed to, to the club and has really uh, been there from the start to the to the finish, really, as well. So, yeah, keep in contact with him a wee bit. You know, we, we kind of, you know, we, we, we played together. We formed a good partnership on on the pitch, um, but I think sometimes it's, it's it's good to keep in touch with players who move on because you, know, you would hope that um, partnerships and stuff is a wee bit more than just on the pitch um, as well. And it's good for people to know that they're valued as a person, but not just as a, a player too. So it's good to see them. If they've moved on to Glenavon, I'll, we'll bring a lot to, to Glenavon um, for this season and seasons
0: ahead. Yeah, Absolutely. Massive, massive acquisition there, I think, anyway. I think they'll definitely appreciate that, Um, the experience and the quality as well. But, Howard, just to finish off, I okay. would love to pick your brain for your, if, if this is even possible, your <laughs> favourite moment of your career. Do you have okay. one? <laughs>
1: favourite yeah, favorite moment of my career, definitely, you know, winning the Gibson Cup uh, with Crusaders, Ballymena, Showgrounds, that saturday um having got over the line having having faltered and fell the year previous i think when you know what goes into a league campaign mentally um physically it's 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 a huge reward but you know the the overwhelming emotion that i look back on that occasion was just sheer relief you know it was more relief than it was joy it was probably more a case of like we've we've done it we've done what we've set out to do we haven't we've followed through this year and went the whole way and there was just a great relief that was there that that we, you know, I think in sports sometimes you're always so conscious of what lies ahead that you, you it's hard. Sometimes you don't get the opportunity to fully grasp and reflect on what you've achieved, um, because you're always thinking, right, well, what's next? What's the next game? You know, and so on. But I think that there, as far as achievement goes, you know, looking at, you know, playing in the Champions League, uh, as well, um. To look at the, the all those aspects of, of an Irish League career, but also a career in Europe too, and the Europa League as well. But probably, yeah, one, one in the Gibson Cup has probably been. I think l- not too many people can look back in a in a in a, in a league medal, um, and, and and thankfully I've been part of it, and, and hopefully will be again. Uh, so yes, yeah, so that probably trumps it. Look, we've reflected on the Manchester United occasion. Yeah. I think I think just two very different occasions and and, and situations as well. Um, but you know another tremendous uh, moment uh, in the career that's been nice to reflect on today actually um, in the podcast here so yeah so that's definitely been been, been the highlight
0: Yeah I mean what you've said there in terms of the Gibson Cup and and even it, as you rightly said sometimes you're guilty of looking forward and not enjoying the moment and yeah. I remember that, that league win but I always remember a specific social media post and it was Brian Jensen and it was saying, finally, he won his first yeah. medal, and I just there was just something special about it, you know, to him who's played in the Premier League and in the in the in the Championship and professionally in England for X amount of years, yeah. for him to savor the the Irish League win,
1: yeah,
0: you know, was yeah. I just thought that there was something special about it. Here's this guy that probably looks back on this with some of the fondest memories ever in terms of his entire career because he won that medal. And yeah. I just thought it was really, really special and I agree with everything you've just said there about, you know, the moment. And sometimes you look at things with a relief rather than a joy. And I think it is yeah. very, very important to try and realize the magnitude, maybe, of a, of a success yeah. as well as the, I'm glad we've done that. You know, yeah. Um, I think that's sure. incredibly, incredibly important, but. Hired. Yeah. I've kept you far longer than I intended no. to, and I appreciate Good. you taking the, the time pleasure. out of your out of your Wednesday. And um, hopefully, at some stage, we'll get to do this again sometime.
1: Yeah. No, I would love that. Uh, it's, it's been great to to tune in and to speak with you today, and just to kind of take the time. It's been brilliant actually, and I'll, I look forward to uh, to to listen to you. Cheers, Darren. You take care.
0: Thank you for tuning into the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the podcast. Stay safe